don't need to be trigger happy about pulling the oh we've crossed into sin category. There's a pale that hangs over all of life for a while. It feels like a backstab when they laugh for the first time. Welcome to 1A, a ministry of First Presbyterian Church, episode 26. This is our last episode in our spring series, and we conclude by discussing grief and sadness. I'm Josh Squires, the Minister of Counseling and Congregational Care here at First Pres. You're listening to a podcast designed to take a brief but in-depth look at counseling issues from a pastoral perspective. If this is your first time listening, we appreciate you checking us out. We hope this ministry is a blessing to you and those around you. For more information, you can visit our webpage, which is firstprescolumbia.org forward slash 1A. That's firstprescolumbia.org forward slash 1A. To find out how to contact us or how to subscribe, listen to the end of the show. If you do find this ministry useful, then subscribe using the application of your choice, and every Monday a new episode will be waiting for you. While you're there, leave us some comments. As we increase the number of reviews and comments, it becomes easier for others to find our podcast. Does Psalm 88 have any application to the believer's life? What does sinful grief look like? What is the Kubler-Ross model of grief? How do we evaluate such a model theologically? When are the times that someone in grief may need us most? All of this and more on this week's episode. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It's hard to believe that we are already at the end of another series. But don't worry, we'll be back in the fall with all new content. Until then, keep telling others about us, and be on the lookout for a series preview sometime late summer. Now, let's get to our show. You know, that cry of dereliction, it reminds me of going back to Psalm 88 for a second. And I, for, I forget which commentator it was, but I was doing some work on that particular psalm a while back. And I said that is the one lone bright spot in an otherwise completely dark psalm is that he uses the phrase, my God. It, it It's not so far gone that he doesn't think God is his. He still says, my God, but that's the only bright spot in Psalm 88. Now, one thing that that commentator did, and I, I'm interested what you think about this, Derek, is he said that Psalm 88 is most properly understood as being on the lips of Christ and Christ alone, and therefore almost wanted to um, keep it away from the common Christian experience to be able to resonate with Psalm 88. What do you think about that? Well, I get nervous at that hermeneutic that, that wants to so apply a Christological hermeneutic that any application to me mm. seems seems impossible. I, I just suspect that hermeneutic, and I, I'm not sure that that is a hermeneutic that makes sense in terms of original intent. Right. Uh, you know, what did the original author mean when he wrote this? You, you would have to, you would have to almost put the psyche of the original author in, in a place that's difficult to imagine that that's what he meant. Right. Um, 
So I, I suspect that hermeneutic uh, that that doesn't see you know these things happen to me by way of an example. These things happen by way of an example. Uh, Paul says about issues surrounding you know the Exodus um, and examples to me. Yeah. Going back to what you said earlier, you talked about sinful grief and grief that that maybe isn't sinful. Are there are there keys for us there about when our grief is turning towards that unrighteous sinful style of grief? Well, when grief refuses comfort. Now, the part of that book, uh, Christian's grief. Hmm. You know, and I forget now who wrote it. But part of the message of that book, as I recall, was to say that we we don't need to be trigger happy Hmm. about pulling the, oh, we've crossed into sin category, uh, territory. Yeah. Um, You know, that it is... And without giving too much concession, as though I was pandering to sort of a, a modern view of of therapy or whatever, that you, you need your grieving time. Right. But you do need your grieving time. No? I mean, yeah. there, there are recognizable... Stages. Stages of grief. Yeah. And actually, this is uh, what one thing that I want to follow up with. Um, you know, the common Western view of grief here breaks it down to five stages. And it is, uh, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Those five. Those just came from the top of your head. No, no, no. It's the, Kubler Ross, I believe. What I mean is, you remember all this. Right, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I, I talk about this in, in counseling on a, on a regular, relatively regular basis. I don't think that that model is the end all be all models of grief. I would not be surprised, for example, if someone comes out in the next 15 or 20 years with something that is more accurate when it comes to a way to describe our grief. But in general, it seems to be helpful to think about these five stages and us making our way through these five stages of grief. And so when I sit in front of somebody, which, and it's not uncommon, um, I've got at least two people who are counseling with me right now, one who lost a father suddenly and tragically, and one who lost a spouse. Um, and when they first come to see me, there's a sort of shock and denial, a sort of naive, we're just going to get through it and it's all going to be okay. Uh, and then you begin to see a sort of, um, anger that, that comes up in them as they more and more come to grips with the fact that no, this, this, there's a new normal here, but this normal is sad and that they miss the person that they've lost. And uh, a, a sort of bargaining with themselves. And bargaining, people often get tripped up here. It's not usually a bargaining like, Lord, if you would do this, could we go back in time? But more of a what if. What if I had done this? Would things have been different? And then a long, sad period of depression. And, and that's not necessarily clinical depression. 
but just sad. There's a pale that hangs over all of life for a while. It feels like a backstab when they laugh for the first time. Um, that they could enjoy life even though this person isn't around anymore. And, and then there seems to be a stage where it's okay again. Not that it's okay this person's not there, but life in general seems to be okay. So I tend to see those five stages and think, okay, yeah, those are five stages I'm going to usher you through and shepherd you through, and there are texts that we might look at at each of those. But I have wondered from more of a theologian, a theologian's perspective, does that just come across as hokey? Or, or do those five steps, yeah, yeah, they, they, they're okay. Well, you know, without getting into too deeply now into theories of counseling and yeah, yeah. what is biblical counseling, and there are 28 answers to that question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sure. Um, you know, are there aspects of, are there aspects of human psychology and behavior that ha- reveal a general pattern mm-hmm. from which we can draw certain conclusions? And I, I see no no difficulty with that uh, any more than I would say if this was a, a physiological issue mm. and, and straight medicine. Right. Like, and you go to a doctor about inner ear problems and why, why I keep sort of leaning to the left or whatever. You know, I was thinking as you were talking, you often refer to the fact that in the grieving process, which mm-hmm. is an, an example of sadness, mm-hmm. uh, th- that there are certain definite stages mm. where there are troughs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you talk about the six-week trough and the anniversary mm-hmm. trough. That's right. Uh, and, and so on, low points. Yeah. Uh, now, they're not, they're not hard science, I guess, and, and people will, will differ from mm-hmm. one to another. But... Mm-hmm. Generally enough true that that we should be aware of them. And pastors right. should be aware of them, and and frankly, you've made me aware of this right. in a way that I hadn't really given it enough thought. Yeah, I mean, it, there are patterns that we can see, and not everyone follows these patterns, and not all grief follows this pattern. So, if it's the grief of I thought I was gonna have this job by next year at this time, or when I graduate, I thought I was gonna do this thing. That's, that's kind of a different pattern of grief versus uh, I've lost someone really close to me, a parent, a child, a sibling. But in general, we can look at those things and we can say there is a six-week period where around six weeks, the depression part of it is really beginning to set in. And that is also when just about everyone begins to move on and get back to their lives. So we find ourselves at the darkest point of depression when we also find ourselves most isolated, that that people aren't checking in with us anymore because it's getting difficult for people. Look, I've got my own life and checking in with you all the time is difficult. Uh, and then around six months, there tends to be another low as we find ourselves moving into a season. And it's about that time that we get the guilt of, hey, I, I'm... I'm actually laughing every once and a while again. There's something that I'm looking forward to. Is it okay for me to look forward to life, even though this person isn't around anymore? And then right around the year mark, the anniversary mark, again, there's another low. As we're reminded that we don't have them, and as we make it through the seasons of life, different holidays and, and whatnot, 
that really remind us that we miss that person. Once we get past 12 to 18 months, people usually begin to see a real uptick in life. If they don't see that uptick, we need to be really, really engaged and come alongside and help them in kind of a multifaceted way. Fascinating. Thank you. And thank you for being here all season uh, this spring. We have not decided yet what we're doing in the fall. Uh, so be on the lookout for another series preview like we did for this spring. Uh, and you'll hear what we're going to do then, I guess. Uh, and thank you, listeners. Thank you for being here. Thank you for downloading. Keep up your feedback. Send us tweets and emails. Derek loves to get your tweets and emails and reads them thoroughly. Phone calls. <laughs> uh, thank you. And we'll be back again uh, in the in the fall. Should be back sometime in September. You've been listening to 1A, a counseling ministry of First Presbyterian Church. We encourage you to listen to all our episodes, which you can find on our webpage, which is firstpreszcolumbia.org forward slash 1A. That's firstpreszcolumbia.org forward slash 1A. You can also check us out on all your favorite podcasting applications, such as iTunes, SoundCloud, Sermon Audio, and Stitcher. If you like what you've heard, then subscribe. Also, don't forget to tell your friends and family about us as well. If you have comments, questions, or issues you'd like us to wrestle with, contact us. You can reach us at our email address, which is 1A at firstpresscolumbia.org. That's 1A at firstpresscolumbia.org. Or via our Twitter account, which is at 1A Podcast. That's at 1A Podcast. Or by phone, which is 803-281-1795. That's 803-281-1795. For Dr. Thomas, I'm Josh Squires. We look forward to seeing you in the fall. Until then, thanks for listening, and God bless.